Welcome to Season 9 of the Millennial Pastor Podcast. Season 9 will feature honest conversations about disability in the church with our guest host, Latia Frazier. I'll be along for the ride as well, as Latia's ableist sidekick. So without further delay, here's today's episode. Hey, on today's episode, we have my friend Hank. Hank is from the Methodist Church, uh, but tell us a little bit about you, Uh Well, my name is Hank Jenkins. I am an ordained deacon in the United Methodist Church, um, currently residing in Knoxville, Tennessee, but uh, my ordination is out of the Missouri Annual Conference. All right, thanks so much for uh, being willing to chat with me. Um, again, I am Latia, your host for Coolest for this season. Um, I've not hanged for a while now. I, I don't know. Trying to figure out how many years it's been. Uh, you know, it, it the time has flown by, but I I feel like it's been almost uh, seven or eight years at this point. It's been a little while. Yeah. So we've talked then about just about life in general. I think we met at a kind of like a a disability camp for folks for for juniors and seniors in high school um, that are kind of trying to figure out what they want to do with their life and learning about disability history and all that stuff. And that's where I learned <clears throat> that you were uh, seeking ordination within the Methodist Church, and I at that mm-hmm. point was seeking ordination in the in the Nazarene Church. So you were the first person that I met with a disability that was also uh, you know, in the ordination process. Yeah. We had some good conversation. Yeah, you know, and there there aren't, uh, you know, it's funny, you, like many things, uh, living with a disability, you you always tend to think that you're the only one. Uh, but as you, you get into different institutions, you find that there are several of us hidden throughout the, throughout the process here and there. So it's always nice to, to run into uh, like individuals. Before we get to uh, further into the conversation, which I'm excited about, I just want to ask the question around uh, what what language you prefer. So by that yeah. I mean uh, person first or identity first or a mixture of both. However, you want to explain that. Yeah. So I am. Uh, I always prefer identity first language when when describing myself. Uh, I describe myself as a disabled person, um, but you know. But truthfully, I I have a tendency to go back and forth between identity first and person first language, uh, as you know. But your your listeners may not know. You know, there's a there's a a long debate and a long conversation within the disability community about what is proper, uh, what is whether it be identity first language or person first language. Those who say, you know, you are a person with a disability or you are a person who uses a wheelchair as opposed to a wheelchair user or a disabled person. Uh, but I, I for myself, I prefer to go identity first. I'm a disabled person. Uh, it's important for me uh, that, uh, you know, this is who I am. This is how I live in the world. Um, and and one, I I think it's important for people to hear me identify as such. Um, it's important for me to, uh, in the spaces in which I operate, for me to claim that identity um, and also to claim that identity so that 
uh, shame is taken away from that identity. Uh, you know, uh, too oftentimes, um, you know, the, the, the word disabled, it, it, it strikes a negative, uh, connotation in people's minds. Um, and, and I, I truly believe that is why we try to hide, you know, the, the word disabled, uh, through, um, person first language or, or things like that, because it is something to, that for the longest time people, um, you know, didn't want to identify as, but for me, um, it's, I'm never going to change who I am. I'm never going to change the fact that I'm disabled. Um, and, and, and neither do I want to change the fact that I am disabled, right? It is how I operate within this world is it's how that, um, uh, that my, my body exists and I, I'm not going to be ashamed about that. And, and I don't want other people to be ashamed about that either. I, I want them to see me identifying as such so that, um, other disabled people can, um, uh, can claim that identity also. Um, yeah. Yeah. I love that. I, I was saying earlier that I go back and forth between the two. Like if I'm in a room that I know that I'm presenting and most of the folks probably don't have disabilities, I emphasize the person first language just as a starting place. But I know right. that like, if I'm just hanging out with you or folks with disabilities, I'm like, okay, yeah, <laughs> yeah. we're all disabled people, we're all, you know, crippled, even I use words, but also to be right. mindful of, like, the language that the person is using so that you mirror that language. Right. Yeah, and, and you know, and it's, um, it, and it's a, um, uh, what language is used also depends on uh, the age of the person also, <laughs> right? Because there are different generations, especially within the disability community that like, um, you know, I would say uh, more boomer or Gen X generations, they really fought hard for that person first language, right? Um, and uh, and for them, using person first language is, is what uh, the proper way to go about it is, where I think more millennials and Gen Zers have a tendency to say, no, 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 I'm identity first language. And so you see a real battle between generations in it. And so I think it's also important to like, for me, it's important to, to in some situations, respect those generations that did go, you know, the, who did have a fight for disability rights that came before me. And so for, for them, person first language is important. But like I said, it's also important for me to be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'm not going to be ashamed of who I am. This is who yeah. I am, and you can like me or not, but I'm disabled, so take that. And that's a that's a good point, like to honor those before us, to honor those who are presently still with us, and our ancestors, who yeah, they were coming from a place where people with disabilities were not even considered people, right? And and hid away in institutions, and so to, to even push for, uh, like we are people like we have personhood i think is there is what what they were fighting for so we want to honor that yeah yeah for sure all as, right as fascinated as i am with generations it was never on my radar that that was a, a breakdown that boomers gen xers you know and then millennial gen z would have a different framework for for how they talk about their disabilities but i have a, i have a potentially ableist question <laughs> so help no, help me help help educate me i got a lot of kids 
We got yeah. four little kids and I'm going to use them as the scapegoat. So I don't totally uh, put my <laughs> foot in my mouth in a potential scenario that has happened in the past. Yeah. My, my kids in theory, let's just play out a hypothetical. They see you and you're going to potentially be in a wheelchair if they meet you. Right. Um, yeah. And they blurt out what happened to you. What's yeah. wrong with you? What, you know, any number of potential questions it depends on which kid says it and how loud and et cetera, et cetera. My natural inclination is to hush them. Say, don't say that. We don't say yeah. that. And it's potentially yeah. kind of like a, a residual taboo, like what you guys were just talking about of previous generations. But is that the wrong reaction? What should I be doing with that situation? What is best for you? And I know it might be individualized. So I'm just curious your thoughts on that. Well, and and, and for me, um, I, you know, this, this, well, one with kids, that, that's a situation that happens all the time. And especially kids with parents, in fact. Um, you know, being a minister, what there's a, there's a sermon illustration that I use quite often actually. Uh, and it's a story of being in a, I think I was in a target or something somewhere. And there was a situation to where, uh, a little, uh, a young little boy saw me and, um, he, uh, just had like tons of questions about why I was in a wheelchair. Uh, and in his mind, like I always tell the story, it starts out like inquisitively looking at me. And he can't understand it. And so he like pulls on his mom's shirt and he like, once he gets his mom's attention, he's like, Hey, what's up with that old man? Well, the fact was when like, when this story was happening, I was in my twenties and so I wasn't old, <laughs> but like he, uh, but in his mind, he was associating wheelchair being with old, right? Because he'd only known older people to be in wheelchairs. Um, and his mom, uh, his mom is like, literally dying turning beet red at <laughs> the fact that he like is asking out loud in this party store about this old man and she's like honey shut she's not old yes and he then and then she's like and he's in the, the, the little boy continues like well, well why is he in that in that in that thing and um uh, and his mom is like well honey he's in a wheelchair just leave him alone leave him alone and <laughs> um and like i i tell the story you know i i eventually go over to this little boy and i like I'm like trying to ease his mom. I'm like, hey, it's no worries. I, I'm I I'd love answering questions like this. And so I start talking to the kid, and I'm like, hey, you know, I I use a wheelchair because I can't walk, and you know, this is how I get around. And like this the whole time, like I'm explaining to this kid about the wheelchair, you can tell like it's still not, uh, it's still not working out in his mind why this whole thing going. And so you know, he has this moment where. He looks at looks at my legs in the wheelchair, and then he looks back at me in the face, looks down at my legs, and uh, he he goes and I said something about you know uh, not being able to walk, and he goes, "Well, yeah, you can just get up." And, and like <laughs> his mom, like his mom at that point is like, "Nope, we're done." Grabs the kid <laughs> by the hand, and it's in the next aisle. She's gone. Um, and I in the, the the story actually goes on. Like I actually ran into that kid again later in the store and um the kid the, the he he doesn't know at, like when he sees me the second time he's been told like hey you don't ask questions like that <laughs> um and so like the next time he sees me he's just quiet but he doesn't know what to do he's like looking at me and he still wants to interact with me but he doesn't know how and so like it's it's the sweetest story like without knowing what to do he just reaches up and gives me a hug and then just walks out the store um, and I, like, I use this story to, you know, in the illustration I always use, like, 
you know, we don't know what to do with people that are different from us. We don't know what to do with people who aren't like us, but the, really the only thing we're supposed to do is love them, right? The only thing we're supposed to do is show them love. But, it, you know, long story short, to go back, I, I use that, but to go back to answering your question, like, you know, I have no problem talking to kids about my disability. I, you know, I have no problem uh, with kids wanting to know about it. In fact, I, I would rather them ask me about my disability so that I can talk to them, so that I can normalize uh, being a person uh, with a disability who is willing to talk and answer their questions so that they are comfortable around disabled people. Now, you know, sometimes using that language, what's wrong with you? Um, and, and sometimes, you know, you just have to reframe that. I would reframe that and say, well, there's nothing wrong with me. I just live life differently, you know? Um, and, and I, I would think if I was talking to another parent, I would say, um, maybe help them reframe that of saying, you know, there's nothing wrong with him. He just lives life differently. And then I'm always thankful for parents who bring their kid over and introduce them and ask and are, and are willing to ask them. Now, I will say it's a lot different if it's an adult doing that, right? If it's an adult without a kid who's just coming over, being intrusive, asking a lot of questions, I am not as willing to do that uh, unless I have built a relationship with that person, unless me and that person have gotten to know each other and in building our relationship over time, we've mutually, mutually grown comfortable enough with each other where they can't ask me those questions. And I'm willing to share. Because it's rude, right? <laughs> Right, And I think it's like, in terms of adults anyway, it's like, because we are people with disabilities, you feel like, well, we can just ask anything. And I'm like, well, exactly. would you want me to ask you some intrusive questions? Because I have them. Exactly. You know? like, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. Like, it, it, there, there's nothing that gives you the right as an adult to, to bust into somebody's life and just ask them voyeuristically all these questions that are simply because you want to know more about our private lives you know um but yeah but when it comes like i said when it comes to kids i'm i'm much more lenient because i want them to i want them to be comfortable with it and but, not well, to yeah. be afraid the next time they encounter somebody else with a disability yeah. well, right you... because oh sorry well, no no because like the the instinct though the instinct is always there for the parent to hush them or to shush them yeah but but this, but what that, for me, what that tells the kid is you're never supposed to speak of disabled people or you're yeah. never supposed to acknowledge them. You're never supposed to. And that's actually much more harmful mm. in the world in which Latia and I live in, in a world in which society at large has decided on several levels to ignore us uh, and to... Uh, to not recognize us in spaces or to not uh, find out what it is that we need. Um, and so that that's where that becomes problematic in the long run. It's very helpful, very clarifying. And I think the natural progression, you know, as an adult is just that curiosity of wanting to know while overstepping the bounds of privacy, right? Of just like, right. I'm so curious. And I, I don't know that this matters, but to just add to the story, um, my wife is a nurse, so she's always, you know, very medically minded about, I'm, you know, yeah. wanting to know every not, and it's not just about folks that might be sitting in a wheelchair, folks with disabilities, like it's everything all the time. So our kids right. have that natural inquisition. It's rubbed off on me as well, but there's still obviously like 
privacy and not having someone relive a traumatic experience with somebody they've never met before. Right. So those are right. That, that's sort of right. Uh, you have to like, okay, yeah, I'm not entitled to know the intimate details of a person's life, especially if this is not something they were born with and a traumatic event led to why they're in the situation that they're in. Well, and, and it's it, like, it's important to remember, like, these are stories that, um, the story of why I am disabled or, or why I, you know, use a wheelchair is a story that I have, that I have told thousands upon thousands of times. And so there's on some level, like, like, oh crap, I have to tell the story again, you know, like, you know, and it's just, so there's, there's on some level of like, I don't want like ever my, all my interactions with everybody the first time I meet to be like, so this is why I'm in a wheelchair and yeah. you know, <laughs> yeah. on some level, I, yeah, at some level, I just want it to be like, I don't know. I don't okay. know. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. yeah. No, that's, that's really helpful. Cause like for the kiddos, it's like, don't tabooify it, but don't obsess over it. Like as far as like, as an adult as well. Hank right. is just living life differently, but Hank is Hank, and that's that's cool. Let's talk about life now. Like we can, Big. the elephant in the room's addressed. We can normalize having just a conversation now or whatever. So it, it's helpful, right? Yeah, and you know, and, and it's a it's a fine line. Like I said, it, it it's it's all about building relationships with people too. Like as I build a relationship with somebody, I am willing, and I. I do desire to talk to them about my disability because I want them to understand it. I want them to people who aren't like me, who I am in deep personal relationships with. I want them to understand who I am and, and the way that I navigate this world. And, and it, it, I don't know if Latia is this way, but what, the way that I often go about that is I crack very inappropriate jokes about my disability. <laughs> Uh, in front of them to make them uncomfortable as I'm getting to know them, you know, and so that so that breaks that down and allows Josiah them to be. is laughing because he knows I do it all the time. Yeah. yeah. When she first did it, I was like, "Am I am I allowed to laugh at that? This is, I don't know what to do with this." You know, I mean that, but that's like that's something uh, people who navigate disabled spaces. That's um, a, a very disarming mechanism that we all use to break down barriers so that. One, recognizing people are on on some level are already uncomfortable with it, so we're going to make them. We're going to go beyond the line of of where you're already uncomfortable, make you even more uncomfortable, so that, <laughs> that we have to address the shit that we just put out in the room. Sure, you know, yeah, yeah. So. Um, and so I think uh, naturally this question will come up. Um, the magic pill, right? So if you were yeah. given this magic pill that all of a sudden one day you could walk now, um, uh, would you take it? Or because we're in church spaces, the the idea that it, like if you were at a altar call or somebody randomly came up to you in the supermarket, which has happened, yeah, uh, and says, "Can I pray for your healing?" Um, would you? And I, and then maybe. We'll go into a conversation about how that might look different because you and I, like I was born with my disability, you were not, um, mm-hmm. and if that changes it at all. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, to address the the last part that you were just discussing, I, um, 
I was not born with my disability. I, I was born with the ability to walk. Um, I was in a car accident at the age of seven, uh, which, um, which uh, bruised my spinal cord at the T12 level. And it, uh, it prevents me from being able to move or fill anything in my leg for just below my hips down. Um, and as far as, as far as disabilities go, you know, I have a, a pretty, um, pretty low injury. So I have upper body. Yeah, I have quite a bit of mobility. It's just, I'm, I'm not able to, to move or, uh, move or fill my, my legs at all. Um, but, um, you know, I'm 42 now, so my, my memory of being able to walk is very limited. Like I, you know, I have slight vague glimpses and vague memories of being able to walk. Uh, but the truth is that, you know, that this was not my original existence. This came about later. So, uh, with that being the case, you know, it, it's, it makes my perspective on disability just a little bit different than, than yours might be, uh, being a person that was, that was born with a disability. Um, but then to go back to this magic pill question or to, to pray it away question, um, I tell people all the time, like at, at the age of 42, I now have been in a wheelchair 35 years of my life, um, to do any kind of magic pill or to pray, pray for my healing. That's actually not healing in any way that is actually more disabling than what my disability actually is right because this is my normal this is whatever normal is whatever however we want to say whatever normal is with with air quotes um this is this is how i live in this world this is how i exist so so to do any sort of magic pill where like oh you're able to walk that turns my whole life upside down it is not a life that i necessarily want to live <laughs> right because this is how i have grown comfortable in life and this is how i have learned to navigate life and how i have learned um uh how to uh, you know receive grace uh, it's how i have learned how to uh, understand my salvation in the world or, or my, my life in the world. And, and, and so, no, I wouldn't, it wouldn't want to take some magic pill and be able to walk because that's not who I am. Um, that's not, uh, that's not my reality and nor do I want it to be. Um, and, um, yeah, so I, you know, that for, for me, that, that whole question comes out of a, um, uh, a um, normalized re uh, thinking on life that the only way that you can be fully whole, W-H-O-L-E, is to be a person who walks in the world without disabilities. And that is the only way that you can live a whole life. Uh, and that is that is the complete way that God intended for you to be. Um, and, and truthfully, that's just not my understanding of who God is or, or how God um, has made us in the world. You know, I, I, I think God has made us all different, uh, whether it be through, through the way that we look, the way that we act, the way that we navigate the world, our abilities, our sexualities. God made us different. 
and 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 there's beauty in that difference um and and if god wanted us all to be the same the world would be a hell of a lot more boring um, and <laughs> exactly. i'm not about that life you know yeah um and and so i just uh, that it, no that's not something that i want um you know a lot of people people do not understand disability uh-huh. and uh, because they don't understand disability they assume that you need to be like them right that in order for me to be happy i need to be like the dude that's out there walking or i need to be like the dude that can run upstairs or whatever and no i i can be just happy not being that person um so um, i think that there's a fear around disability and also an an, um uh not understanding that disability is a culture right Uh, that like with with all the things that any other culture has and that the, di- the only difference is that people can enter this culture at like different points along right. their life, whether um, because someone's born with a disability or acquires one. But that makes me think about two questions. One is this like hierarchy of disability. And we've talked about this yeah. a little bit on the, you know, just in our, our conversations, but thinking about within our culture, there seems to be a hierarchy and maybe i mean you can correct me but i see like if you were in the military right and you were for our country um mm-hmm. uh that you acquire a disability because of something that happened to you you're like at the highest level because you're like a warrior and you, you came back but you fought for our country and then yeah. and then maybe folks who are um folks maybe like you hey who didn't have a disability when they were born but because of an accident or whatever have a disability and they'll kind of go uh further down from there and i also think that there are other intersect intersecting factors like a uh, gender and race that play into that as well. any thoughts on that well, and, and it is something, it is something that is very real and it, and it's, um, it's something that plays out both within the disabled community and without the, and outside of the disabled community. Right. Um, so when we're talking about the hierarchy of disabilities, often we're talking about, or my perspective on it is, is like who, whose voice gets heard the most within the disabled community and who gets to represent the disabled community the most to the outside world right and it's never um it, it's never anything that's done fairly i don't think you know um um and it, it a lot of it plays into how much can you pass as a quote air quote again normal person in the world um somebody like myself who is a paraplegic wheelchair user um who is also a cisgendered uh white uh white male you know i get a lot a a lot of privilege in the world that uh somebody with cerebral palsy who um who is a black person or a black gay person does not get right um and and that's not right because when oftentimes um when uh the rest of the world is thinking who do we want to be our spokesperson for uh disability they're often looking for 
you know, the white dude in a wheelchair who looks like, like, I, and I tell people a lot of times when I'm doing podcasts or when I, when I'm talking to people, when you're looking at me through a zoom, uh, through a zoom box, you would have no idea that I'm disabled. And, and truthfully, that's the way that the able-bodied world wants it, right? <laughs> because it's one, it's once again, it's that whole thing of like, how much does this person remind me of me? Right. Uh, and that's the person that everybody else wants to wants to hear from or not want to hear from, but that they think that's what they want to hear. That's not who they need to hear from. Right. Um, and so, um, and so unfortunately how it plays out is that I am afforded many more privileges than, um, than you might be Latia. Uh Uh, And, um, and that's something that we've had to work on within the disabled community. I, I, you know, you see a lot of, a lot of, talk within the disabled community around this. And and I think that my hope is that there's becoming a, a better understanding of these things and trying to put other voices out front. Um because um because as a disabled person I have things that that I have to fight for, but they're not always the same things that uh, another person who's disabled and a black person has to deal with. Right. Um, and, and I, as a, as a white person who is in a wheelchair or even just as a paraplegic, as opposed to somebody with cerebral palsy, I have to recognize that and, uh, join in the fight with other people say, no, 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 not just for me, but for all of my other disabled, uh, uh, community as well. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, And I'm conscious of that, too, because even though, yes, I I have cerebral palsy and I walk with crutches and I, um, but I'm able to articulate the things in the way that, that perhaps others as siblings within the disability community cannot. So I also have to be aware of the the amount of privilege I have um, and realize that my siblings within the disabled community that have intellectual disabilities, uh, their voices are often not heard. Right. So like to be mindful of, it's not just me, but, but my other siblings too. So like to bring, to bring them along, but not in a way of like, come with me, but like, here's like, here's another voice within the disability community. Um, because it's such a diverse community, we all don't agree on everything. Our experiences are diverse all while we have this thing that leaves us as well. Yeah, exactly. And, and we, uh, I'm a, I'm a big believer in like, we, we've got to have those, we got to put those diverse voices out front so everybody can hear them. Uh, because a lot of times, like whatever the thing that helps me and I need to get by in the world is not something that a, a deaf individual necessarily needs or somebody with intellectual disabilities necessarily needs. Um, yeah. So. But just because I know you, you've done the ordination journey and things like that. I want to ask these questions. What, um, like if you were speaking to someone who since the quantum ministry that had a disability like, what advice would you give them, knowing that they are going to be speaking to ministry boards and committees yeah. and such? Yeah. 
So like the first thing that I, um, in the, in the Methodist church, we have a group association ministers with disabilities. And when we, when we've talked with other disabled individuals who are first experiencing a call in a ministry, the first thing I tell them is one, um, uh, everybody I think needs to be able to fully articulate what their calling is, but I feel like those of us with disabilities need to be able to articulate that even more than other people. Um, and we need to articulate why it is that the church um, is not complete without us, right? We need to we need to express like this is what I am bringing into um, into the church world, and I need you to see why my place in this is so important. And your goal may not be, and, and I would actually say that not every person with a disability there. Um, when they go into ministry, it doesn't need to just be pigeonholed into being like the disabled minister, right? But yes. you need you need to be able to articulate like, hey, look, this is who I am. I fully recognize the church is not structured to make space for me, but this is why you need me, right? Mm-hmm. You need my voice, and this is why. And I and I think you need to. I think a person with a disability needs to be able to explain that and be able to like uh, understand what those things are because unfortunately we do face discrimination in those ordination boards, right? We are asked questions that nobody else is going to be asked um, whether it's fair or not. And we need to be able to, um, on some level, I think we need to be able to, to answer those questions, but also be able to answer like, hey, Maybe it's not it. Maybe it's not fully appropriate for you to be asking me this, and this is why. Would you ask somebody else this, mm-hmm. and just be able to push back on that a little bit and give the ordaining bodies a little bit of pause as to like, oh wait, why am I asking them this, or why am I, uh, why am I singling this person out and asking them this? Um, so, so my first part of that is be able to fully articulate, be able to explain why it is that you're going into ministry. My other thing that I would say is. You know, that first part that I talked about, you know, being a person with a disability um, in all spaces that we navigate, it, it can feel very isolating. We always feel like we're the only person. But the truth is there are other individuals out there like us. So find who those other people with disabilities are, um, who you can talk to and be in relationship with um, and and gain uh, mentorship from. And also there are always going to be allies within our churches, people you can uh, you can find to support you or to have your back or to speak for you. Um, not speak for you as in like speak fully for you, but to, to lift you up when, when it needs to be. So find who those people are uh, within, within your denomination. Um, you know, my, it, whether I'm if it's within the Methodist Church or not within the Methodist Church, I'm always somebody who's willing to be a mentor to somebody else who who is going uh, through ordination. I think for me, I think it's important for us to have those people that we turn to uh, to have us uh, give us a support system uh, in this because it's it's not always easy. We um, we need somebody there who has gone before us, like everything, um, and uh, to lift us up and. and this is not what you're asking, but people like me and you, we also need to be seeking out other people within the, with disabilities or that we can say like, Hey, do you have a call in your life? Is that, is that, that 
you see uh, in your life. And, you know, this is something I see in you. And how can I support you in that? You know, so that other people with disabilities can see like, oh, this is something that I can do. This is something, once again, to normalize it within this world. Like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, this is something that a person with a disability can be called to do also. And not just because they're disabled, but because they have this call on their life. Yeah, that's good. Uh, and then what advice would you give to like the, the board themselves that are that may encounter someone who is called um so for boards themselves i would say um listen listen to what those gifts are that the disabled person is bringing disabled people have amazing gifts that they bring uh to these boards and ministries and, and often my biggest frustration with boards uh with boards uh, ordain ordaining boards is that they the one question that they always want to ask is well um, how do I know that this person is going to be able to the, do the job as a minister? Because, you know, in, in their head, they're like, oh, the minister has to do this and this and this. And I always have to stop. Um, I, I get so frustrated when I when I am speaking with boards or in ministries because they always have this question. And I, and I stop them and I want to say, I need you to realize that a person with a disability they are not here in front of you if they have not already gained two degrees, if they have not already busted their butt to get by in the world just to show up here in this freaking room with you. Exactly. So don't give me this bull crap that you don't know how they're going to navigate this world that you've built up in your head that it lives a certain way. They will figure it out. You know why I know that? Because they are freaking here in front of you now. Right. So they've already figured this art now. So stop giving me that bull crap about you don't know how they're going to do this, whatever. Well, help them figure that out. But you know what? They're going to figure that out. Okay. So just, you know, recognize, stop, stop focusing on that part, focusing on the gifts that they're bringing there to that moment. Um, yeah. So that, yeah. that's a, that's a soapbox that I get on. It's just like you people, you, people don't realize the the hurdles that we have to jump through just to get to the same spot everybody else is just showing at, up to on that day. Um, and I'm like, hey, if we're in that room, we've already overcome a hell of a lot that you don't even know about. So, yeah. I want to ask, what's a positive experience you've had as a minister with a disability in the church? A lot of times so, we hear the negative stories, which are Many of yeah. to be there, but I'm curious about a positive experience. Well, and, and you know, I've, I've been trying to think of like, I don't know that I can single out one, like one situation that was a positive experience. Everything that I can, like, I, when I think about this, I always come back to community. And um, I, I apologize. My, my cat has gotten into some catnip or something in the background is going wild. You may be hearing that. Um, so, the the best experiences I've had as a person with a disability in ministry have come in small small communities. The very first church I served was at a, a rural town in in Oklahoma, um, and me and this church our our theological ideologies didn't necessarily line up always, but they were the most loving community that I have ever been a part of, right? And um, and you know they had their stumbling box when it came to my disability, but they were, 
they were always willing to be there in ministry with me, right? And allow me to lead them where I needed to lead them, but also um, uh, lead me where I needed a community to lead me, right? And, and we were in partnership together. And at no point did I feel like um, singled out for my disability or, you know, discriminated against for my disability. They loved me for who I was. And, and you don't always like, uh, you don't always think when you think of often like small rural communities, you don't only think that always think that's going to be the case, but, but that was a community that they were just truly just there to show God's love to everybody. And I, I loved that. And it was a great experience for me. Uh, I was also very young and they gave me a lot of grace and, you know, trying to learn what it meant to just be a minister. Um, I learned a lot from them about caring for people. So, uh, that was a great experience. Another great experience was this from a small community in England that I was a part of. Um, and, um, this uh, uh, church in England, I, we, I lived in lived in Oxford for two years, and this church in England um, had a heart for ministry and a heart for ministry f- with disabled people, um, and uh, they were in a church that was built in the 1700s. <laughs> but they, uh, you know, and often when you think of, of church buildings in England, you don't think of accessibility. Uh, but this church had a heart for disabled people. They had taken out all the pews in their church and brought in just chairs because they wanted to make it a space that was fully accessible for uh, people of all disabilities and all abilities. Um, they had a a weekly program for uh, the disabled people within the community of Oxford to come um, be a part of together. And it wasn't just, it was mainly for the disabled people, but members of the church came and became a part of the community and not a part of the community in a, um, Let not me just help you a, way. <laughs> right. They were legitimately a part of the community. Like they were there sharing in conversation with these folks. They were there participating in the ac- activities on an equal level with the individuals there. Um, they would invite the individuals from um, from this group to be a part of the, uh, the, every year they would put on a church musical that was written by members of the church and they would intentionally invite people from this disabled community to come be a part of, of these church musicals, not as disabled person one, but as like one of the, like the main characters and stuff. Mm-hmm. And so that, it was just a beautiful, inclusive community to be a part of. And, and so yeah, I, it's something that I always think of fondly when I think back to that time. Yeah, great. Fully integrating, right? You don't have to do just uh, specifically disabled ministries or disability ministries, but uh, having folks with disabilities integrated and included and part of the leadership of the church. Yeah. Um, just as you would in any church. Hank, just thinking about, because uh, both of us have spent, not only because of our personal experience with disability, but just our academic life, thinking about disability and theology, um, what does that mean to you? How do you see God? How does your disability shape that? And like, yeah. is your vision of heaven or, or new creation, what does that look like? Yeah. 
Yeah. So, and, and part of this goes back to, um, I believe part of what I was talking about earlier, like going along with that magic pill and would you take it? And, you know, part of that is built around my understanding of, of disabled theology and, and, and creation theology and how God has created us. Right. Um, so first of all, like, how do I understand disabled theology? At its most basic level, I think disabled theology is just doing theology, understanding church, understanding the story of Jesus Christ through the lens of somebody who is disabled like me, right? Um, and and understanding uh, what is the context that that I bring to that story, but what does that story speak into my life? Uh, and how do I view my understanding of of existence through that story and, and everything. Um, yeah, through my, through my disabled context, um, and, and giving voice to those stories where they, they may not, they may have been, um, covered up in the, in the Bible, right. Or, uh, overlooked in the Bible. Um, and I, and I think, you know, I, I think that's, that's something that's really important and really important to do. Um, and it all goes back to like this understanding of, of creation and, and how we were created. Um, and, and, you know, this is going to, I think for people within the disabled theology community, this has a tendency to differ a little bit. Um, but my understanding of creation is like on some level, um, I can't remember if it was, it was here or in another conversation, somebody was talking about, you know, uh, how do you understand, uh, brokenness and, um, and, uh, you know, does God, does God make things broken or is everything just, does God make everything perfect? Well, I, you know, I, I, I tend to think that God makes everything perfectly broken, right? Um, that we, we all, I, I think we are created broken individuals, right? Um, and whether that be, uh, through who we are, through our personalities, whether it be through our bodies or, you know, but not everybody's going to understand like a disabled body is a broken body, but, and I, and I don't mean it in, in, a uh, derogatory way, but like, I mean it in a, like my body has limitations, but everybody has limitations, right? Uh, my limitations within my body are more pronounced than others. Um, and my limitations came about uh, because of uh, of a car accident. But still, we all live within fragile bodies, right? Bodies that are on some level uh, broken or can become broken. Um, and and I think for me, the way my uh, the way I understand theology is like God was intentional in doing that, right? And God was intentional in doing that so that we would depend on one another, so that we would draw together within community. Uh, and because that is where the real salvation lies, and that is where real salvation exists, is when we are in community with, uh, with our siblings out in the world, right? Uh, because we, we, cannot, we are not meant to live this life in isolation. Uh, we are not meant to, um, we are not meant to be on this uh, world alone, uh, because when we do it alone, it becomes much harder. Right. And it's only when we are a community, when we, uh, that we can support one another, that we can all thrive together. Uh, but the real breakdown happens is when we, we isolate other people and too often times, um, you know, we, people with disabilities are isolated because they are seen as more broken than, 
than every other individual, right? Uh, and and because they are seen as abnormal and they fall outside of uh, what what uh, society has labeled as 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 uh, as appropriate, and um, and because they are labeled as such, they they are put into ice, forced isolation on their own. Um, uh, and I uh, that is unfortunate because people with disabilities have so much to to bring to any community. They have so much wisdom to bring to any community. They have gifts and graces to bring to any community. And, um, and the, but this all goes back to like, not just disabled people, but people of all identities bring so much to the table. I mean, we, uh, one of my biggest frustrations with the church is how much we try to uh, isolate people uh, who are different from us out in, in a multitude of ways, right? But I think we need I think we need, you know, I, I'm sharing a lot about myself, but I think we need a, like people of different uh, sexual identities, people of different gender identities, people of of different races. Of you know, we need we need everybody there at the table to help us fully understand um, what well, fully understand God and and God's self, right? And and to fully understand uh, what what. God was creating when God was creating creation or humankind or everything. And it's not, it, it, for me, it, it doesn't just end with humanity, right? So all of God's creation is a part but, of that. And, and we are called to be in relationship with all of God's creation, not just with humans. Um, and, uh, and, and to allow the rest of creation to be in relationship with us. Right. Uh, and it's not a just a one-way street, and that's that's important for people with disabilities too, right? Like too often times within the church, um, we want to set up this uh, this system to where people of the church are in ministry with disabled people, but don't allow disabled people to be in ministry with the people of the church. It's a two-way street, and there's it's not a relationship if if that doesn't that two-way street doesn't exist. And and I'm talking in circles at this point, so I apologize, but. But for me, that's... Yeah, I think a w- one way to ask that question then, and we could end here, other than if there's anything you want to say that hasn't been said, but um, is like, why is disability theology important for the whole church, right? I think sometimes people think disability theology, that's great. If you have a disability, it helps you. But why is it important to those without disabilities too? Um, Because on some level, for me... While disability is a unique identity, being disabled is not an identity that everyone um, uh, can take on for themselves. The uh, the reality of disabilities, though, is some on some level is something everybody deals with, uh, with whether it be vulnerabilities, whether it be um, uh, living in fragile bodies, whether it being living within uh limitations like those are those are realities that people with disabilities are faced with on a day-to-day basis and coming to an understanding of god through those limitations is something that on some level comes naturally to people with disabilities right but that's a gift that we can share with the rest of the church of like hey let me show you where the beauty is in these limitations that we have let me show you where the grace lies within um 
within these limitations. And let me show you where God is working through our lives. Um, and not only through our lives, but through your lives as well. Um, and, and I think that's why that's where the church can, uh, uh, can utilize people with disabilities and, and disabled theology. Yeah. Is there anything you want to say that hasn't been said, Hank, or any resources you might want to offer that we can link to this episode? You know, I, uh, I am, I am long-winded, so I don't know that there's anything that I, that anything else that I can nor should add to the, to the conversation. Um, resources, you know, I, I apologize. I'm trying to think I, I'm a law student at the moment. So my, I, I've been dealing with legal resources uh, a ton here lately. So I, I have not picked up any new, um, uh, disabled, uh, theology resources at the moment, other than, you know, some, some of the oldies, but goodies like the disabled God, uh, one that I like vulnerable communion, but these are ones that are, have been around for a long time that I tend to just talk about over and over again, but those uh-huh. are some of my, my good ones that I come back to, but, uh, yeah, I apologize. I don't have a better answer than that at the moment. Yeah. And can you link or send me the email and we can link it to the, uh, um, cause I know I've been a part of some of your meetings. So it's not, necess- you don't have right. to be Methodist, uh, yeah. in terms of the, the the association of ministers yeah. with disabilities yeah yeah so as, as we're uh, i'm a part of a co-chair of the united methodist association of ministers with disabilities support group for all people ministers with disabilities or those who serve within the church or just interested in in all things and uh yeah we meet on a monthly basis to check in with anybody and we support ministers so yeah we'd love to have it i'll send you the information on that all right thanks so much for uh, having this conversation and uh, yeah. Thank you, Latia. It's, yeah. it's a pleasure being here. The Millennial Pastor Podcast was created and produced by Byron Certain and Josiah Jones. This season's guest host is Latia Frazier. If you enjoyed this podcast, then please be sure to rate, review, or subscribe and visit themillennialpastor.com for more podcasts like it.